Truce broken after airstrikes are carried out in the capital of Iraq. The president of Turkey calls for a two-state solution to Cyprus. Poland and Hungary veto a stimulus bill in the European Union, and China tells Australia to work to fix the deteriorating relationship between their two countries. This is the world at large, and we are Politics 1001. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The World at Large, where we cover news from all corners of the globe. If you enjoy, please remember to share, leave a review, and of course, click that subscribe button. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of our podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The World at Large. Now, before I hand the reins over to Josh over here to talk about, well, you know, the world. We've been getting a lot of support uh, recently. One of you, in fact, left a lovely, lovely review named Mama Labs. And thank you to Mama Labs. I'm glad you enjoyed the show. It does mean a lot to us. Uh, When we're sad or lonely or crying, we often look at these reviews and it lifts us up. But there are many of you out there who have asked us, how can I support this show? And your fans of the show and you just want you want to help out now i want to let everybody know that we do this for free uh we put our money into it we've bought equipments for the podcast and we don't make a profit from that but recently the software we use has implemented a way for listeners like yourself to donate money now if you love this show if you love listening about the world at large donating would really help us out and Make sure that we keep going for the future. Now, without further ado, I have Josh over here to tell us about, well, the world at large. Hello, everybody. It is me, Josh. So, as Ian said, and I want to reiterate this, it would mean so much to us if you could donate. But he already covered the, the majority of what we have to say, so let's just jump into the airstrikes in Iraq. So, as we know, as we know um, from past analyses of the Middle East. Uh, we've looked at it so many times, we will continue to keep, to look at it. Um, there tends to be a lot of different interest groups and militant groups that exist in this part of the world, with their main priority being, well, as per the definition of geopolitics, as we've already described, they want power. So, um... They are no exception with these airstrikes that have just happened in Iraq. So in the Iraqi capital of Baghdad, there have in fact been not only just the average airstrike you see in Iraq, but this was a this was a more upscale and, and violent airstrike. So this was carried out in the green zone of Baghdad, which is a part of the city which contains most of the major embassies stationed in the country, including the American embassy. And it also happens to be the seat of the Iraqi government. So it's the green zone, right? This is where all the diplomats, they meet up, they shake hands, um, maybe they elbow bub nowadays, they, they like to have their coffee and really just be the, you create relationships between them and the Iraqi government and other countries that are also there. This, this, so when you're a diplomat, you know, you tend to be a lot more immune to this type of stuff. Um, but so so the fact that missiles are actually reaching inside of the green zone, it's kind of a big deal because it's no longer like the outskirts of Baghdad. This is like the city center. This is the elitist part of Baghdad. And we don't we don't want to be seeing missile strikes there. Right. No, we do not. And so this marks the end of an informal ceasefire slash troops that was offered by the Iran backed militias in this country. So let's describe this truce a little bit. Um, because it's quite important to understand that when looking at these airstrikes and why they're such a big deal. So this truce originally was uh, created in... So so if we look back in January, in early 2020, because believe it or not, there's a lot of stuff that happened this year, and 
That includes... No, I don't believe it. Yeah, I mean, if you guys even want to even think about it, Tr- President Trump was impeached this year, which is quite interesting wow. to think about. Um, but Crazy. Also, what, other, what also happened this year uh, was the Iraqi government passed a bill in the parliament or a demand to the United States saying, you need to pull out all your troops. You are, they're no longer welcome here. I don't know if you guys remember that, if you ever heard of that. But if you haven't, well, I'm telling you now. Um, the Iraqi parliament passed that, and they said, U.S. troops, you need to go. And this was back in January. And so the United States pretty much said, you know, that is a... Look, Iraq, that is an amazing suggestion. I am really glad you brought it forth. I'm glad you're expressing your grievances with us being here. But here's the thing. I... No. Uh, and so it's the United States just said, oh, well, we can't really do that at this moment. There's still a lot of threats. ISIS is still possibly a thing. Um, so we, we, we're just going to hang around a little bit, Iraq, if you don't mind. Um, and Iraq did mind, but they said, oh, okay, well, all I can do is denounce you in the parliament, but I can't actually you know, kick you out because I don't have the strength right now to do that. Um, and so the U.S., they stayed put. But this created, there was a little bit of a truce that was made, right? And this was in October because... Um, I don't know if you guys remember this part, but the Iraqi government, or the, there's, so there's, it's split into two different kind of factions in Iraq, right? There's the government, which tends to be a lot more, well, it wants to be pro-Iran and pro-United States, but at some point you have to pick a side, and they've started to lean towards the United States, because uh, what, what I'm talking about in January and what happened in October are two different things, because um, the United States... Well, they had a different prime minister. Like, Iraq switches a prime minister, I, I would like to say, like, every four months at this point. Like, it's, it's, it's a pretty constant cycle. Um, and so the prime minister currently is tending to lean a lot more in favor of the United States um, instead of Iran. And they want to be close to Iran, but again, you have to pick and choose when it comes to two arch enemies. So that, that you're seeing that. And so the Iraqi government has decided that, they're, again, they're going to side with America, but there's the other faction in this country is the one that's a lot more pro-Iran. And these are the militant groups that operate in the rural parts of the country. And they tend to carry out airstrikes on uh, specifically American diplomats and on the American embassy, and they like to threaten them um, because because they want, they want the U.S. troops out. Um, they're like, look, the Iraqi government even said, get out, you don't even respect our wishes. What do we have to do to get rid of you? I guess we have to fire missiles at you. Easy solution to come to. I always come to that conclusion <laughs> yeah, all the well. time. It just seems so, so If you wanted to get rid of someone, everyone, the missiles, just, yes. just buy a missile or two. Yeah, I'm sure it'll scare them right Before we get into legal trouble. Uh, uh, Some, I, we don't want our listeners to. We do not condone firing missiles at people, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't already guess that. But um, anyways, the airstrikes, these airstrikes were carried out by these Iran-backed militias and... This was kind of breaking the truce because the militia said, all right, you know what? Fine. I don't want to shoot missiles at you if you're going to promise to leave. And the President Trump says, yes, I will leave. I will pull out the troops. I promise. Um, and so they said, all right, fine. We'll, we'll stop the airstrikes for now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the U.S., they made this little announcement where they said, all right, listen, everyone. And this was today. They said, listen up, everyone. I don't like our troops in Iraq. So this is what we're going to do. We got 3,000 troops inside the entire country. We're going to pull out 500 of them, okay? Sound good? Uh, so you might, you might be like, that sounds pretty good. Um, however, the Iran-backed militias did not think it sounds good. They think that sounds terrible because they want all the U.S. troops gone, not just 500 of them. They said they want them all to pull out at once. They don't want this little this little stagnation because you could stop stagnating at some point. I just want to guarantee that they're all gone. How do I get that guarantee? Well, when you're actually gone. So they said, you know what? This truce does not hold up anymore. We're going to carry out these airstrikes. I start assaulting the embassy. 
So these airstrikes specifically resulted in five deaths, including a child who was in the green zone at the time, as well as the an injury for injuries for two Iraqi security soldiers. Um, and so in a strike, again, this was in the green zone, but this was really close to the U.S. Embassy. It was about 2,000 feet or 600 meters from the embassy itself. Um, and so the odd part about the attack is it came less than an hour after the United States announced that it would be, again, withdrawing these troops from Iraq. And so... It seems like, again, it seems like it's kind of following the demands of this coalition in rural Iraq, but at the same time, um, it's it seems like they want an immediate exit, and that's why they're angry. And so the response from the American government directly is not yet known, but considering the fact that Washington has threatened on multiple occasions to close its embassy to Baghdad if the strikes continue, and they threatened this only a month ago, it probably will not be the happiest of responses. I mean, I cannot imagine the American government, government would be very happy about airstrikes near our embassy. I, I, I don't know why, but I'm just getting that feeling they wouldn't like it very you much. You have a hunch that they wouldn't like it's it. It's just a small little hunch. Yeah. Well, And so, look, I I don't like airstrikes near my house, so I'd assume yeah. the government doesn't like them near theirs. However, I don't know. We all have our preferences, I'm right? I'm often sending airstrikes at Josh's house. That is what he is referring to. <laughs> yeah, it's stop it. It's a little <laughs> secret. Um, and so, um, why? but why? Why are there American troops in Iraq in the first place? Well, this is a good question. So... Um, in 2003, the United States actually did invade Iraq, and these, they're the same troops that have been left there ever since. And the U.S. has slowly been pulling them out, but they still do have a presence there. And they went back a lot, and like uh, when ISIS started to rise up again, uh, the United States started to send in even more troops as a means of putting them down. And they overthrew the President Saddam Hussein, I'm sure you all have heard of him, um, in 2003. But if you want more details about the Iraq War, we actually talked about it in Episode 7 called License and Registration. So Ooh. if you're interested, definitely check it out. We talked about it. A lot. We spend like 10 minutes talking about every little nitty-gritty detail of the Iraq War. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, um, for this event specifically, it's not clear what's going to happen, right? I mean, the United States, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, has threatened to actually just like withdraw the embassy, which uh, the United States has invested millions of dollars into it. The U.S. Embassy in Baghdad is absolutely massive. It's the biggest U.S. Embassy, I believe. Um, It has like its own storage supply, its own water reserves, um, its own like security system. It's it's like it's like a fortress, right? It it's supposed to be self. It could self sustain itself for months on end if it was quote sieged down. Like they have mm-hmm. enough in there for their entire staff for many months. If you're um, getting airstrikes shot at you, I guess I would want to make it self sustainable. Yeah, I mean, so they are definitely preparing for those airstrikes. Yeah. Um, but again, check out episode seven if you're interested in the Iraq War. But we're going to move on. Quite Damn. interesting story indeed. Uh, So let's move on to Cyprus. And Cyprus, similar to Iraq, has been in a state of uh, tension, shall we say, for a pretty long time now. And this started in the the late 20th century when Turkey invaded northern Cyprus and occupied it, um, or, or... they do not recognize it as an occupation. They, they recognize it as liberation. But every other country recognizes this as an occupation. Um, and they've set up the Republic of Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus while the Republic of Cyprus is in the south. So this Turkish Republic is only recognized again by Turkey while everyone recognizes Greater Cyprus, including the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. They think of that as a part of the Republic of Cyprus. Every other country does. And so Turkish President Recep Tayyip Tayyip Erdogan has said that his intent is to create a two-state solution on the island. He's done. He's saying, you know what? We've had, we have the Turkish Republic of Cyprus. We have regular Cyprus, right? Like, we don't need to keep fighting. Um, at this point, we might as well choose now, do this now. He emphasized the necessity of it right now. And so he said that 
neither side recognizes the two different countries officially. Um, and Turkey broke off the recognition of Cyprus in 1963 after a series of violent events that led to severing of diplomatic relations. Uh, so this, this is, I mean, there's a huge story behind this. I actually was kind of interested in, in breaking down the history of Cyprus later. Um, it's, 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 it's really complicated. But um, essentially, Turkey broke off recognition of it in 1963 after some violence that happened. Um, and so pretty much what this two-state solution proposal would do is cement the reality of the situation. That is, there's two different countries, they have different governments, and it, it, what's the point of not recognizing each other? We might as well just be friends with each other. So that's kind of what he's suggesting. However, um, let's just say the international community was not very happy because they're saying, why would we recognize, why would we recognize a country that does not exist in northern Cyprus? And so there's the conflict right there. And so... Yeah, the, the, this two-state solution would, again, just cement and make this current state of the island more official. The Greek Cypriots would get their side, the Turkish Cypriots would get theirs, and we'd all move on, we'd all be happy. So Erdogan said this in a statement specifically. He said, and quote, Today in Cyprus, there are two separate peoples, two separate democratic orders, and two separate states. A two-state solution must be discussed and negotiated on the basis of sovereign equality. End quote. So this... This, again, triggered bat fierce backlash from the international community, as every country, again, besides Turkey, recognizes the Republic of Cyprus as one that owns the entire island. So in a statement, the president of Cyprus, Cyprus Nikos Anastasidis, said this in response to President Erdogan. He said, and quote, Ankara has absolutely no respect for international law, European principles and values, and its obligations towards the European Union. So again, Every country besides Turkey views the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus as an occupation. And Turkey, they point to the infamous day of bloody Christmas. And no, that's not the thing that happened in California. This is the thing that happened in uh, Cyprus. This is called bloody Christmas. And this is when Greek nationalists in 1963 killed over 100 Turks uh, within a day living on the island. Um, these were, like again, nationalists. They wanted independence from... They, they wanted to kind of merge with Greece as a single country. And so... They, and so Turkey's saying, look, if these Greek people, they, they literally killed over 100 of our civilians. How can we trust them? How can we trust them to preserve our cultural heritage and our people and our language if they're going to do stuff like that? The only way to guarantee the safety of Turkish people is to, well, pretty much you know, have our own state on the islands for them. And so um, that's why Turkey says that the Greek and Cypriot governments cannot be trusted to protect the Turkish citizen. So this has always been their main argument, as it was also the main argument in 2017 when reunification talks, talks in Cyprus were attempted and failed. However, in the speech, because Erdogan, he's got to say multiple things in the speech. It's not just about the two-state solution, which made everyone angry. Um, he also has to talk about the fact that, you know, we got to search for gas a little bit. And so he said in a speech that he's going to continue these natural this gas explorations in the Mediterranean, in the Eastern Mediterranean, and he will no longer tolerate, quote, diplomacy games. And has said that he will only stop in a, again, quote, until a fair settlement was reached. So what does this mean specifically? He's saying that, look, 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 look. We, we do not want to search for oil. Oil is not a priority. We don't need it all the time. It's just that if you guys are nice and you create something fair, a nice fair deal, then yeah, maybe we'll stop. But in the meantime, we're just going to keep searching. You're really making it seem like the Turkish government and the president just sign in a room and listen to that song that goes, why can't we be friends? You know what I'm talking about? I, I do know and, what you're talking about. Much, I, I to think... their, much to their chagrin, the international community 
did not listen to the song. And as you guys know, um, we've talked about placing sanctions on other people when they're disrespectful. Yes. Well, the other European countries, they've threatened to place sanctions on Turkey for, for having their ships going around the Mediterranean looking for oil. Yes. So um, they're certainly going back to that classic um, disrespectful move, which is placing sanctions on someone. Um, so Why can't we be friends, man? Yeah. Turkey, just they listen just, to the song. Like they just the, want the two-state solution, right? Definitely. Um, besides <laughs> the fact that every other country thinks it's occupied, um, they want it. Right. They, they don't think it is. Um, so that, that's kind of the dispute you're seeing, right? Like Turkey versus the, <laughs> the rest of the world at this point. Um, yes. For just Cyprus, not for every single geopolitical conflict. But before we continue, I cannot recommend enough, especially to our listeners who enjoy international news, the Mindset Podcast. They're also an international news podcast, which likes to shed some light on the news and current events. And I really think you should check them out. And here's a little advert of what they do. Hello, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be around this wild, wacky, and sometimes disturbing world of ours. Yes, that's the intro to the Mindset Podcast, a weekly attempt to open eyes and shedding light on what's really going on in the world, all done by ripping apart the media madness that masquerades as news. Join me, Gareth Davis, every Sunday on the Mindset Podcast. You can find the show on all major podcasting services such as iTunes, Stitcher, and so on. Or you can go directly to the main Mindset website. That's www.mindsetcentral.com. Check out the Mindset Podcast. Bring your curiosity, your opinions, and a sense of humor. And remember that some worldviews are stranger than others. But anyways, we're going to move on to... Because I, I would love to keep talking about Cyprus, but I think it's only fair that we talk about the former defense secretary of the Mexican government. Yes, that's only fair. It is only fair. And so his name, what is his name? Well, his name is Salvador Sanfuego Cepeda. <laughs> And he was arrested for being accused of being a drug cartel boss, as well as a money launderer by the U.S. government. So, those are charges. Let me just say, if you guys don't live in the United States, those are not charges you want to get charged with. And if you don't live in the United States, that's probably also something you don't want to get charged with. So it's just overall pretty bad to get charged as a drug cartel boss (laughs) and a money launderer. So, what did Mr. Cienfuegos do? Well, um, the evidence against him is quite... It's quite interesting, but let, let's look at what, what's actually happening. So this originally triggered a lot of anger for the Mexican government, since they said, well, we were never informed of this investigation or the subsequent arrest until it actually happened. The U.S. government, they're just spying on Cienfuegos, and then they eventually just seized him. And the Mexican government, they had no idea what was even happening. That's not nice. That's not nice. He was the former defense secretary. He's like a diplomat of our government, and this is how you treat a diplomat? How dare you? Yeah, and so having only stepped down, Cienfuegos still has many close ties to Mexico, which is why the, the anger from the Mexican government is especially high. Um, so the U.S. the U.S. government, again, seizing this guy is really high up. It's, it's not a good look. And so the U.S. government has agreed, he, they agreed, to transfer um, Cienfuegos back to Mexico after the current pre- Mexican president, Andres Lopez Obrador, uh, threatened to rethink their cooperation on how the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency operates in the country. So essentially, what's Mexico doing here? They're saying, 
all right, you don't give them back, then we're just going to rethink all the deals we've ever made. And I just, about drugs, and I just, I don't, I don't want to do that, but you're kind of forcing my hand here, United States. And the U.S. is saying, you know what, it's just one dude. You take care of him. Treat him, treat him like he's a criminal, though. And Mexico says, and Mexico said, yeah, we will come to the appropriate um, solution. We, he, he will receive his fair punishment. So the U.S. said they're gonna we're gonna bring him back. That's fine. We don't need we don't need to rethink anything. Just just hold up a second, Mexico. Let's just wait. And so, yeah, essentially the American government thought it was not worth the hassle to charge this guy. Uh, he's caught, right? Like he's not gonna be he's not gonna be um, allowing these drug cartels to get away. And specifically, there's some reports that came out from Mr. Sanfuegos, which said that he was favoring some drug drug cartels over the other. Like, he'd crack down on some, and then the other ones, he'd look the other way. Wow. And so... He didn't want to be equal between the drug cartels? No, he was... Rubens are, he was prioritizing certain drug cartels. That's wow. what the investigation says. And so, what's... It's, it's important to know that Cienfuegos worked closely with the U.S. government to counter drug... to counter drug influence, drug cartel influence, during his time as defense secretary. Um, under the Obama administration and early Trump administration. So that, cause he was there until, from like 2011 to 2018 or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, well, you, it, it's, it's the, the U S government saying, Oh, we were working with a drug guy the whole time to counter drugs. Huh. A little bit of irony. <sighs> well, that's just be how it works. Shots. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, I'm assuming that's why the American government was a little bit angry, but yeah. let's let them be angry. Let's let the be Let's let Cyprus talk about a two-state solution, and let's let airstrikes continue to go around my house. Okay. But in the meantime, uh, we will talk about a budget plan in the European Union because this is actually a very big deal. So the European Union, they have this thing where all the little, all the countries get together and they all talk about bills they want to pass regarding money and these budgets that they want to do and how they want to structure their their little block for, for the next few years ahead, right? So they got together. They they said, our economies, they're pretty devastated by COVID. We're doing all these lockdowns. Turns out lockdowns are not very good for us um, economically. So what we're going to do is, I don't know, just we're going to pass this $1.2 trillion stimulus bill. And so all the European, in this, this, obviously it's a lot of money, but you have so many different countries in there, right? So all of them do their little bit of all their contributions. And so they, they got together and they planned this out. And this has been in negotiations for months. And so they finally, they finally got to the vote to talk about this bill, this tri- over trillion dollar bill. And because it's the European Union and you're looking at their laws, um, every single country has to agree on it. And Hungary and Poland said, you know what, we're not going to agree. In fact, even though, and that's not enough, they also said, you know what, we're going to veto it. Because every country has equal vetoing power. If one country vetoes it, the whole thing goes through. And so Hungary and Poland, they vetoed it. And that just put the whole thing under. And this made a lot of countries in the European Union angry because this was supposed, this was supposed to be a stimulus bill for the, for the people. And so why did Hungary and Poland do this? Well, they both had pretty similar reasoning. That being that there was a risk that in passing it, they might lose their subsidies um, from the European Union. And so the EU has this, this standard that they set up. Uh, regarding its values and its democracy. And it has this whole list online and rules of law, and it wants every country to uphold it. And EU has been critical of Poland and Hungary for, for one reason or another, for not upholding these values of the European Union. Um, they say Poland cracks down on the press. Um, they say Hungary is moving in a more dictatorial path. Uh, of course, all these countries deny this stuff, but this is the, I'm just telling you what they're saying. And so um, these 
that, that that's what's happening, right? And so the, and so the the wording of the document is what's off. But uh, so I, I actually took a quote from the EU Rules of Law, and it's and I'm, this is what they're kind of referring to here, and it says, "End quote." This is a, from the document. Even if it has even if it has not found universal endorsement, democracy in its liberal variant, which protects fundamental rights, is based on the rule of law and separation of power. This was the most well-established system in the world at the end of 2017, uh, saying that democracy is flourishing, it's becoming much bigger, and they're saying that, well, they're kind of, well, so a lot of Western European countries are saying, well, Hungary and Poland are kind of going in the opposite direction of what this is trying to imply, and that you're becoming less democratic, not more democratic. And so, um, the, so a, the part that's a little confusing here is why Poland and Hungary think this. And this all comes down to the wording of the bill. So a few months ago, they had a bill. Hungary and Poland were willing to sign off on it. But then there were some tweaks. And those tweaks, they made Poland and Hungary a little bit unhappy. Um, so because the leaders of the EU, again, hinted at the prospect of countries who do not protect the rights of their citizens within the bloc, they can lose valuable subsidies. And many of the countries in the EU have openly expressed concern, uh, again, over these two countries for those reasons. Um, and they uh, they think there's an erosion of their democracy in these respective countries. And so Hungary and Poland find these claims outrageous. So let's we're going to look at the wording of it in a minute. And so what what the wording actually is is it says that it, that that as language within the bill says that the countries cannot receive funds unless they uphold the standards. And so that comes down to a matter of opinion, right? Does the country actually uphold the standard of rule of law and democracy? And since all these countries in the EU have said, well, you you're certainly very questionable on upholding the standard. Poland and Hungary can be like, what do you mean questionable? What does that even mean? What do you mean? Am I upholding the standard or am I not upholding it? If you're saying I'm not, then it sounds like if we pass this thing and there's a chance that I can get these subsidies withheld from me because I don't uphold your criteria, then I might not get the money. So why would I pass this bill? I'm just going to veto it until I'm guaranteed the money. And so that that's kind of what's happening here. And so this made the head of the European People's Party, the EPP, very mad. His name is Donald Tusk, and he said on Twitter, and quote, whoever is against the principle of rule of law is against Europe. I, I expect a clear position on this from all the EPP parties. The opponents of our fundamental values should no longer be protected by anyone. Some harsh words. So, certainly sh- striking back. And so what is Mr. Tusk saying? Well, I think you guys can already kind of understand what he's saying. But what he's hinting at here is... If you're, this should not be a problem for anyone in the European Union. Everyone should easily meet these standards. You are admitted to the European Union as a democratic nation, so the fact that we even need to question you is the problem, Hungary and Poland. You're just making a fuss. Making a fuss by vetoing it. So and Poland really mean. Yeah, and Poland and Hungary are saying, look, we need subsidies. We're, we have coronavirus in our countries, too. We need these subsidies. You're not going to withhold it because oh, I don't meet your specific criteria. <sighs> and although it's it's again, disputed over if they actually do meet the criteria or not, because there are valid arguments for both ways. Um, the fact of the matter is that's that's what's happening. These subsidies are possibly going to be withheld due to the wording of it. So they want more clear wording is what it comes down to, essentially. So, quite interesting. Relations are clearly breaking down within the bloc. Um, so let's keep an eye on the European Union. But while we're keeping an eye on that, let's talk about the Chinese Foreign Ministry being very angry at Australia. Never heard that before. So, China and Australia recently, they tend to fight a little bit. They don't like each other. Um, their governments are pretty polar opposites. 
Right. So let's see what's going on this time. So the Chinese Foreign Ministry released a statement in which it demanded that Australia actively work to fix the rapidly deteriorating relationship between them and Beijing. So Xiao Lijian, the foreign minister and spokesman, oh, the foreign, mini- a foreign ministry spokesman for China, not the foreign minister, a, f- a spokesman, um, uh, said that Australia started the conflict between them and China and that it will be their job to end it. So essentially, like, you started it, right? That's, that's what they're doing here. And so um, <laughs> Lijian said this specifically, end quote. I want to stress that the Australian side is completely aware of the crooks of the decline of bilateral relations. We hope the Australian side should do more to improve the mutual trust and cooperation and enhance the comprehensive strategic partnership between the two countries, end quote. So this new wave of criticism stems from the fact that Australia has done Two key things that has angered the Chinese government. They have one, they publicly demanded an international investigation into the origins of the coronavirus, which means that they, they want to know where it came from. This They're kind of working with the United States here and saying that we want to investigate what's going on here. And two, Australia signed a defensive pact with China's biggest rival, Japan, in which they promised to protect each other and have each other's backs. Um, and so both of these things made China quite angry. And China also went on to say that Australia is just a puppet of the U.S. They just think, they don't think for themselves. They just think whatever the Americans think. That's not good. China, uh, Australia, you need to be an independent nation. We're actually trying to help you here. Yeah. Um, we're the good guys. Yeah. And so. But you started it. But we're the good guys. You started it. You created these bad relations. We're cutting off your barley. We're cutting. We're, we're not going to import your barley or your coal. We're going to import from Mongolia now. If you guys remember that post. And they're cutting off their strings, one could say. Hmm. Puppet strings. Yeah, the puppet strings. Yeah, and so, um, <laughs> yeah, so that that is what's happening. And you see, Australia and China starting to their tensions have been increasing for a while, especially on the naval side. And this defensive pact with Japan, especially, is just really just certainly not making it more peaceful, but less peaceful, if anything. All right, everyone. So that is all we have for you today in the podcast. Oh. Um, we are quite happy to have recorded this. Uh, we love as doing always. this. We love doing this. It's it's really fun. Yes. And as we said at the beginning of the show, if you have, can find even a dollar a month to donate to our show, just continue to make us keep going because we do this for free. It takes me about two to three hours to prep even one episode. Uh, we do. We're at school. We're at school full time. I have a job on the weekend. Like this is. I, I'm very limited in time, but I do this because I like doing it. I feel like it's it's important to do it. Uh, but so if you guys agree, then. Just please click on the link in the description of the show. Uh, you'll find it there where you can do the donation link. It, not even It's 99 cents a month. You, and uh, we know that people don't always have money, whether you're going through school or a victim of tough economic times. It's just leaving a review and even writing something for us. You can even send us a voice message in the description. That's another thing that the software lets us use. Just doing that really means a lot. Just get the word out that we exist, and you guys already have. You're doing a great job, and we're we're getting to a point where we're pretty happy. Yeah, exactly. So, um, donate, leave a review, as Ian said. Just do anything. Just, just, just help us grow, right? Uh, Absolutely. So, with that being said, we'll stop talking. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you listening to the news and the world at large. But we're going to get going. So, we are Politics One Thousand One, and this is the world at large. You all have a good day. Goodbye.